Welcome to the Kanoi Church Podcast. We're glad that you're interested in connecting through this teaching time. If you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out to us through our website, kanoichurch.org. For now, enjoy this teaching from Kanoi Church, where our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Anyway, today is technically the final day of our series, Kingdom Creation. So, the passage that we're going to be in today is Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. But before I dig into that for a few minutes, what I want to do is remind you of where we've been. Because um, I don't think it would be super helpful for us to forget the ground that we've covered. This series was only six weeks long. This was Easter to Ascension. That was the whole point of this. The series Kingdom Creation was birthed from our Easter Sunday service where we discussed that because of the work of Christ on the cross, those who follow Christ are given new life and are new creations, okay? But what does that look like in everyday life? We don't just follow Jesus on Sunday mornings. I think we'd all be in agreement there. But unfortunately, that's often what church ends up being. Often, Christians end up coming to church and doing the church thing, and then they leave church, and they do whatever else they want to do. And so, the following Jesus thing becomes a Sunday morning only thing. We want to try and make that an untrue statement. There's maps in the back of the sanctuary, and I've encouraged you guys over the last number of months to put a red dot on the map where you live. How does following Jesus matter to your red dot? And in order for us to try and grapple with what does it mean to be a new creation, what does it mean to, uh, to live into this kingdom of God that Jesus talks about, we engage the book of Colossians. And I told you, I'm not going to go through this thing verse by verse. What I don't talk about, you should go read. It's worthwhile reading. And so we talked about a number of things. The first thing we talked about is this. Jesus is the icon of God. And that means that he is the perfect representation of God. If we want to know what God would do or say, how he would act, what he would approve of or disapprove of, Jesus shows us that. If we're curious how to love one another, if we're curious how to show compassion or how to offer forgiveness, Jesus shows us that because Jesus is the perfect image bearer of God. Paul's letter also taught us that, that Jesus is the king over the entire created world, and you and I are stewards of it. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, when God creates the world, he puts mankind in charge of the world, and we are called to steward this world. And so perhaps then we should act more like guests in this place than locusts. How that is in our lives is not for me to tell you. That's for you to figure out. You need to figure out what it looks like in your life to be good stewards of the created, beautiful world that God has given you. And then Paul told us, in no uncertain terms, that Jesus is the head of the church, which, which is a pretty huge deal to bring into the modern world. Because in the modern world, we've allowed a lot of things to be the head of the church. 
that aren't Jesus, if we're honest. The leaders who guide the church, the mission of every church needs to reflect the values of Jesus. And if they don't, you don't have a Christ-centered church. You have a gathering of people, and you might even call it a church, but it's not a Christ-centered church, okay? Jesus is the head of the church, period. Full stop, end of story. Then we talked about something else. Um, We talked about the importance of creating a community that was encouraged in heart. And when we talked about that phrase, we said the way to understand this phrase is sort of a literal translation. And a literal translation of understanding the phrase encouraged in heart meant to call someone to your side, right? And so, hey, Jeff, can I borrow you? Do you mind? If I need encouragement, I can call Jeff to my side, and Jeff can come stand beside me. I'm no longer by myself. I'm no longer alone. I am simply encouraged because I'm not alone. This is what Paul is talking about. When he says, be encouraged in heart, it is often because we find ourselves alone. We find ourselves facing all sorts of problems and challenges and adversity in this life, and we find ourselves being lonely. We find ourselves being overtaken by challenges because we are alone. But Paul says, you should be a part of a community where you're encouraged in heart. Be a part of a community where you can call someone to your side. Jeff, come to my side. And now I am encouraged in heart because Jeff is by my side. You can do it. Thank you. Exactly. I'm encouraged. You hear him encouraging me. My heart is encouraged. And it's not just in the hard stuff. It's in the good times, too. It's in those God moments. It's in the celebrations of life when a, a newborn baby is brought into this world. It's, it's in those moments that we shouldn't be alone. It's in those moments that we should be bringing others to our side so that we are encouraged in heart. But then there's this other phrase, united in love, that Paul uses. And, and that is this idea of being welded together. What does it mean to be welded together? And, and that's where we get this idea of linking up. Now we're welded, but what are we welded in? We're welded together in love, okay? There's this idea that a community that can be encouraged in heart, call someone to your side, the thing that makes Jeff come to me when I say, Jeff, buddy, I'm alone and I need help, and he comes right over and starts encouraging me, is that there's a love of one another and a love of God. We are welded, united in love. That is what brings us together. The reason that Paul describes a community this way is because this bond is what stands in the face of the adversity we will all face. Paul specifically in this community is concerned about false teaching. And he says this is what will allow us to stand up to the false teaching together. This bond will not be broken, right? This is the defensive line. And when those cowboys come running at us, Steelers' defensive line is not gonna be broken, okay? 
Yeah, 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 all right, thank you. Okay. Certainly not the Eagles, because the Eagles would get mowed over or something, but the Steelers, they can hold up to it. Um. <laughs> I didn't hear that. <clears throat> I have no idea what's being said out there. My goodness. Now look, this is the sort of community work that Paul's talking about. We have to do that community work. But then we also have individual work as well. And so we talked about what's a rooted life look like, right? Remember we talked about trees specifically. And so scripture paints us pictures of trees. And there's multiple pictures of trees in scripture about trees being planted by streams or trees that have roots that go underground to a stream and their leaves are always beautiful and they're always bearing fruit. And then there's these trees that get stuck in a desert somewhere and their leaves wither and they never bear fruit, right? There's these two different images that scripture presents us, what a rooted life looks like and an unrooted life looks like. That's this individual work that we have to do. What is the individual rooted life? So kingdom creation people, we have to firmly plant ourselves in Christ so that we remain strong in adversity, that we remain overflowing with thankfulness. Because if I'm not rooted, and Jeff calls me to him, how much good am I gonna do when I get called to him? I've got work to do so that I can be there for Jeff. And Jeff's got work to do so he can be there for me. As individuals, I've got work to do, and as a community, we have work to do. That's part of what it means to be kingdom creation. Then we went and we talked about freedom. Come on, right? Freedom! I could best break. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Nobody else gave me a brave heart yell. I even put it on the screen for you. Nobody went there. All right. Come on. We had a we had a whole morning where we talked about powers and authorities, right? Powers were these supernatural things, and authorities were these things of mankind. And these things have held place and power over our lives for so long, all the way back in biblical times, but even into the modern world. Rules and regulations, do this, don't do this, eat this, don't eat this, touch this, don't touch this, et cetera, et cetera. But, but Christ, on the cross, showed us the powers and, and authorities for exactly what they were. They got to play their very best hand. The supernatural powers of the world, the authorities of mankind, played their very best hand. And Christ rose in three days and showed the world Scripture says, Paul says, put them on display, and they were powerless. Christ freed us from the bondage of death, and he freed us from the bondage to systems of powers and authority, and now we get to live in freedom, which is wonderful and also a little scary because sometimes that freedom gets abused. Christians notoriously can abuse their freedom. And that's something that we have to realize, grapple with, and be a bit careful of. And so what I tried to tell you was that, yes, you're free. Know that. I mean, Paul even says in a different letter, in a different place in our scriptures, everything is permissible, but not all things are beneficial, right? Your freedom is best, most healthfully expressed when we are making sure that in our freedom, 
we're loving the Lord our God with all of our heart. And we are loving our neighbor as ourself. If you can make sure you're doing that, then yeah, you're free. So, that brings us to last week. And last week, we got to talk about Star Trek, which was awesome. For me, at least, maybe not for you. But that led us into talking about what could a new world look like? What could a kingdom world look like? We don't have to sit back and think, believe, count on the fact that the world is just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse, and we are helpless until it does. We can have hope that the world might get better. And we can actually have a hand in bringing light and truth into the world. And that light and truth can culminate in the return of Christ. Followers of God, our responsibility is to bring light and truth into the world. So Paul describes what this new world can look like at the end of Colossians 3. And though the world may not look like it right now, though the world may not even look like it in our lifetime, the place that the new world starts is here. Like here in our church, here in our community. This place can be a refuge. It can be a beacon of of hope and light so that when people come and visit, when people join this community, it feels like a breath of fresh air. They, They go, whoa, it is so different here than out there. Why? Well, that's the best question somebody can ask because the answer is very simple. Jesus. Because Jesus captured us. Because Jesus showed us there's a whole new way of living. And we've oriented our lives and our relationships with one another around Jesus. And because of that, you have now encountered a community of people that are different than the world. That is the point of creating a new world here. And if we create enough new worlds in places like this, then perhaps it spills out to all the red dots that you've marked on the map, where you live, where you grocery shop, where you work, where you walk your dog, and the world changes as well. Amen? Okay. We've covered a lot of ground in this series, but the point of the series has been to say, when the rubber meets the road, what does it look like for my life to actually be a life that is a new creation life. If God gave me new life, he made me a new creation, what does it look like for me to actually live in a different way? It can look like this. It doesn't have to be overly complicated. It doesn't mean that I have to memorize doctrinal statements or big gigantic words or learn a different language. It means that I need to have my life look more and more like Jesus. Less of me and more of you. Quite simple, right? Okay, but I have one sermon left. So let me give it to you and we will go from there. This mission never ends. I have to say that though. Though the series wraps today, the mission of living a life for Jesus, like Jesus, is a mission in perpetuity. 
It never ends. Please know that. You don't get to check it off. We did a six-week series on this at church. Now I get it. Let's move on to the next thing. Done. The thing that gets you out of bed in the morning, when you turn to the side and your feet hit the floor, the question that you should ask is, how will I live my new creation life today? How? That can be a different answer every single day. But how will I live my new creation life today? That is a mission for all of us. And that can be answered by the Great Commission. That can be answered by loving your neighbor. That can be answered by do not judge or you will be judged. That can be answered by so many things that we find in Scripture. But that question needs to be the question that you ask when your feet hit the floor and you get up in the morning. How will I live my new creation life today? And as you go throughout your day and you get it wrong, and you will, I do, all the time, ask my wife, ask my kids. The question that we have to ask ourselves again and again is, am I living my new creation life? How do I get back to living my new creation life? How do I get back on track? How do I get back on the path? Let's do the work of staying on that path. Okay? It's worth it. It's worth it. It's long-term work, but it's worth it. All right, Colossians 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 2. I'm going to read the passage. And then I'm just going to talk about it. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What does it mean to be kingdom creation people? That is the question that I ask every time I have prepared one of these sermons. Every time I look in Colossians and grab a section of scripture, whether it's a big one or a small one, what does it mean? We devote ourselves to prayer. That has to be a big part of what it means to be a kingdom creation person. We are a people who pray. Paul uses the word devoted here, but he may as well have used the word continually. If we follow Christ, then we should be a people who pray continually. And some of you might ask, why? If God's all-powerful, if God is all-knowing, if God is all-fill-in-the-blank of whatever it is that you think God is, why does it matter if I pray? God's going to do what God's going to do. Because God wants a relationship with you. I mean, that's really, at the very start of things, the Garden of Eden, that was sort of the point. 
God created and cultivated a space where he put mankind and then God was with them. God walked with them. God talked with them. And mankind ultimately chose a different path, but God continues to pursue a relationship with mankind all throughout the history of mankind. And God still wants a relationship with you. So why does it matter if you pray? Because in prayer, I mean, that's where I can voice my concerns. That's where I can share my affection. In prayer, I can communicate my needs. I can even share my frustration, my anger, my disappointments. In prayer, I can listen. I can know hope. I can find peace. When I'm at my best, I am a person who is committed to prayer. And when I'm committed to prayer, I'm a better person because I'm in a very real relationship with God. Prayer is a place where I have a give and take with God. If we are to be a kingdom creation people, we must be in relationship with God. We must talk with God. We must be in relationship with him. Paul also says that we're supposed to be watchful right there. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful. And that watchful word actually applies to prayer. This directly applies to prayer. Be watchful in your prayer. Another way to say that would be keep alert. It's sort of like if you remember when Jesus takes his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane and he asks them to stay awake and pray with him. But the disciples seem to keep falling asleep. And you'll notice when Jesus comes back to them and finds them asleep, he's a bit frustrated. Ah, you couldn't even stay awake with me. Stay awake and pray with me. He's asking them to be alert, to be watchful. Paul is echoing the sentiment of Jesus here. He's saying, devote yourself to prayer and be alert, be watchful. What Paul is saying is your prayers should be affected by your life. Your prayers don't need to be rote and routine. They don't need to be some sort of a a formulaic thing that you do. Your prayer should be affected by the life that you live. If you are in pain, you should pray about that pain. If you have come through a season of heartbreak, you should pray about that heartbreak. If you are coming into a place of just joy, gratitude, and thankfulness, you should take that to God. If you look around and you see people in your life who are in a place of brokenness, then you should pray about that. Be alert and be watchful means the life that you are living, the life that God has put in front of you, should be a life that impacts your prayer because God wants relationship with you. He's not looking for your voice to him to be devoid of the life that he has given you. Let your life impact your prayer. Bring your life, bring the life of your loved ones to him in prayer. Be devoted in prayer and be watchful in prayer. And then Paul asks the members of this church in Colossae to pray for him and his fellow missionaries, which means that Paul thinks prayer is an effective tool. That's important. And it's important for this reason. Sometimes when I talk to people, I pray with them, I'll say things like, I wish I could do more. I wish I could do more than pray. And, and it's, I say that as though prayer's not good enough. 
I don't know why I say that, but I do. And it's because I want to do more than pray. How silly. But there's a part of me that I have to keep working on that thinks that's not enough. Now, for those of us that have been in church for a long time, I mark myself among that group. There's a younger generation in this world who distance themselves from the church. And we have too often only offered them prayers. And we need to stop that. For those of us who've been in church long enough, we need to do a better job of rolling up our sleeves and getting to the hard work that is at hand in this world. But that's not because prayer is not an effective tool. If there is a part of us that thinks that prayer is not an effective tool, we have to purge that from our hearts. That is the thing that I must keep working on. The little piece of me that somehow thinks that prayer is not enough. And I don't know if that's in you too. I don't know if you've ever said what I've said. Prayed for somebody and then said, I wish I could do more. Prayer works. Prayer is powerful. Paul believes it, and so did Jesus. Both Christ and Paul told their fellow believers to pray. Both Christ and Paul asked their fellow believers to pray for them. They believe it's effective. Why would I ever doubt that? Prayer is effective, and I must believe that. Then Paul goes on to say this. He says, pray that I proclaim this clearly. And he's talking about the message of Christ. Pray that I proclaim it clearly. There's this comedian. I'm going to put all this on the screen for you because I think it helps make it uh, clearer. There's a comedian named uh, Kelsey Cook. And, uh, and she tells a story about losing her childhood cat, Callie. Uh, so this is the name, Callie, okay? And... Um, she sent a text to her best friend. Her best friend's name is uh, Jenna to tell her that Callie died. And her phone autocorrected the name Callie to Kelly. She didn't know that when she sent the text. So Kelsey and Jenna have a friend named Kelly. And um, so this is the conversation that they, they had. Kelsey thought that she sent this message. Callie died. What she really sent was this. Kelly died. Jenna responds to her, oh my goodness, what happened? And Kelsey sent back. She got hit by a car. And Jenna responds, she what? Oh my gosh, did you call an ambulance? Kelsey says, no, I already buried her. Jenna, Jenna says, you buried her? Where? Kelsey says, in my backyard. <laughs> Jenna responds, Kelsey, I don't know if that was the right thing to do. <laughs> this, uh, this went on for a bit longer, uh, and, but they eventually called each other because they realized something wasn't lining up here, right? One word gets changed and suddenly the message is completely unclear, right? Callie to Kelly. 
She goes on to tell the story, and she says, the most fun was when they showed Kelly the text message conversation. And Kelly was like, really? You heard I got buried in the backyard? And the best thing you could say was, I don't know if that was the right thing to, to do. <laughs> right? Yeah. Paul says, pray that I make this message clear. I don't think he's worried about making one word wrong. That's, that's not what he's saying. I think, I think he's looking at sort of the big picture of his life. We know that when Paul writes this letter, he's in chains, he's in prison. And so I think, you know, he's saying, I want to pronounce the message of Christ clearly, and I want to urge you guys to act with wisdom to outsiders and to make use of every opportunity. If Paul is in chains, he's in prison, then consider that how he reacts to being in chains is going to clearly proclaim a message of some kind. If Paul spews venom to his captors, if he says hateful things to the guards, then he proclaims what is in his heart. That is a message. But to remain hopeful, to proclaim Christ in the midst of adversity, to lead a life that might even guide some of those guards to know Christ, well, that proclaims an entirely different message with clarity. And that uses every opportunity that Paul has been given, whether he wanted the opportunity of being in prison and chains or not, that acts with wisdom towards those who are outside the faith. See, we don't get to choose every opportunity we've been given, do we? Some of the opportunities that have been placed in front of us, we wouldn't even call opportunities. We would call them tragedies. I think Paul's encouraging us to look at them a bit differently. Even if that takes years of hindsight. I think Paul is encouraging us to consider how we might act and what messaging we are given in the midst of difficult circumstances that we didn't ask for. What actions that we are taking, what clear message are we giving in the midst of those things? So we must ask ourselves the same questions. How is the clarity of our message? I ask that about the church at large. The church big C, the church at large in our country, how is the clarity of our message? And if I'm honest, I am not encouraged. Statistically speaking, attendance has been dropping for decades. And young people are leaving or never engaging the church. And people on the inside of the church seem to be confused as to why. Why? Are they not engaging, and why are they leaving? But I don't think we have to wonder why. We know. We did a whole series on Tove and Toxic. The witness of the church at large is usually full of scandal, abuse, lack of accountability, and a lack of reparations to victims. The witness of the church is clear. Those outside the church have seen it. 
and the people inside the church are still trying to deny it. Instead of denying it, we must repent from it. We must become the kind of church that can earn back the trust and then clarify a new kind of message. But that will take time, and that will take work. It will always be easier to deny. It will always be easier to say, I don't know what the problem is. It will always be easier to say there is no problem than do the hard work of saying, we have a problem, I am sorry, I wanna make it right, and I wanna create something better. That is hard, and that takes time. And the way that you do that is you begin with creating a new world, and you create a new world here, here. I've said this already, but I say it again. You create a new world of humble, compassionate, grace-filled, united in love people that gather in places like this. I'm not saying Kanoi has the corner of the market. I'm saying churches all over the country have to take a stand, make a choice that in individual churches, we will create a new world in these places. And in these places, we will teach in love. We will correct in love. We will disagree in love. We will allow our communities to be united in something that goes far beyond the disagreements that we have. And our doors will be open and we will invite those who are outside of this place to come in. And we will be joined in common values and a common mission to share Christ with anyone who enters into this place. We will reclaim the clarity of our message one community at a time, one red dot at a time. That is what we have to do. We make a difference here in this place. We make a difference at our red dots, and slowly that makes a difference at the church in large. Slowly we reclaim the trust of folks who once thought the church was a safe place who have now come to believe that there is no such thing as a safe church. And speaking of your red dot, how is the clarity of your message at your red dot? Are you using wisdom as you interact with those who do not have a relationship with Christ? Are you making the most of every opportunity or are you letting them pass you by? When someone new comes across your path, do you take the time to talk? Do you avoid? The easy thing to do is to show up here on a Sunday morning in your Sunday best. Nice clothes, nice shoes, nice hair. Nice smile, say the right thing, do the right thing. Yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But when you leave, you're a different person. And I don't mean a different person because the music or the sermon or the fellowship had a good impact on you. I mean you're a different person because you're a different person in every place you go. It's easy to cultivate a different personality in every place that you go. To be a different person with this group of people and this group of people and online and then at church. But what does that say about our message? Tim, Tim Keller is a fairly influential pastor and author in New York City. He passed away this week from cancer. In one of his books, he said something that I'd like to share with you this morning to close out. And um, 
think it really helps bring this idea to a close. He said, to be loved and not known is comforting, but superficial. This, by the way, is what many people who come to church will end up with. They will be loved and they will know comfort, but they will not allow themselves to be known. They will allow, this will allow them the space to be different people in different spaces, to do what they want, the way they want, when they want, without any real accountability. He said to be loved and not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. This is the hurdle that many people, especially young people, have. And they'll never make it past this as they consider letting other people in. Because once people actually know me, and they know my past, and they know what I think, and they know what I fear, and they know my struggles, and they know what I, what I really am like, they're not gonna want me. They'll judge me. This fear will keep people from fully joining a church and delving into a community. Tim Keller said, to be loved and not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Kingdom creation, people, I want to leave you with this thought. I want to bring the series closed with this thought. It isn't that we have a lack of clarity about our message. Not as a countrywide church, not as a local church, and not as individuals. We are clear in our messaging. It's that our messaging often isn't the message of Christ. And I believe that this is the very thing that Paul is asking for prayer. As Paul is in chains, as he is in prison, he is specifically asking, please help me, pray for me to live well. I am facing something really hard, and the easy thing for me to do would be to do something that is not in line with Christ. It would be to live a life of values where I fight back, push back, spit back, use my words in a way that is gonna hurt my captors. That's what I wanna do. So pray for me to live in a way that shows a life of value that is not my values, but is the value of Christ. That is what he is asking for prayer. Pray for clarity of my message. Our message is clear. It's just not the message we're supposed to have. And so the prayer we need to pray for our country and all the churches that exist therein, for our church and for one another as individuals, is that our message would also be clear. Because it's the right message. Not because it's our message. But it is that is the message of Jesus. Paul wants to proclaim the message of Christ. Do you?
Is that the message you wanna proclaim? That's a harder message. And everything around you pushes you to proclaim the message you wanna proclaim. That's an easier message. We often talk about things like a small gate or a wide road. Jesus tells us over and over again, his way, it is hard. Why is it hard? Because our way is the easy way. Do you want to proclaim the message of Christ or do you want to proclaim yours? What is the tool that Paul thinks is most effective to getting him to live the life that he desires to live? Prayer. 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 Devote yourselves to prayer, he says. Devote yourselves to prayer. That is what we must walk away from in this series to close us out, to wrap us up. That has got to be the last thing that we put in our pocket, write in our list, whatever it might be. All the things that have come before it lead us to this to close us out. Be devoted in prayer for one another, for our community, our whole community, and for the church at large, that we would proclaim a consistent message of Jesus, not hypocrisy, not abuse, not scandal of Jesus, of compassion, of grace, of love, of accountability, of a new way of living because we are a new creation made possible by the death and resurrection of one who came from God the Father and descended from on high, who gave up his godness to descend down here, who died the death of a criminal so that you and I could have new life and become a kingdom creation. The least we could do to honor all that we have been given is simply to proclaim the message of Christ, I think. Are you with me? We can be the start of creating a brand new world and we don't have to bite off a chunk that is so much bigger than we can manage. We don't have to go out and try and change the entire world. We can start right here. We can start right here. Here, I've got individual work to do that sets me up so that when he calls, I can stand right next to him. And then I can link arms with him. And then somebody comes, links arms with us, and suddenly we've got a community. And that community builds and builds and builds. And when somebody new comes in, they say, wow, something is different in this place. And we say, we got the answer for you. You know what's different? Jesus, it's just that simple. It's just that simple. And then we walk away and we take it to our red dots and the neighbors begin to change. The neighborhood begins to change, slowly but surely. Not because we have used power over anybody, but because we have taken a simple message of grace, love, and compassion given to us by a creator who was willing to come down and die for us. And we've simply shared the message the message with clarity, the right one, not ours, but his. Amen? Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Nick. Thanks for listening. I hope something that you heard today was very helpful. If you want to connect with us further, feel free to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, kanoichurch.org. Sure, I'm glad we're in this together.